Prince Darling of the Blue Fairy Book. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Avery. Once upon a time there lived a king who was so just and kind that his subjects called him the Good King. It happened one day when he was out hunting that a little white rabbit, which his dogs were chasing away, sprang into his arms for shelter. The king stroked it gently and said to it, Well, bunny, as you have come to me for protection, I will see that nobody hurts you. And he took it home to his palace and had it put in a pretty little house with all sorts of nice things to eat. That night, when he was alone in his room, a beautiful lady suddenly appeared before him. Her long dress was as white as snow, and she had a crown of white roses upon her head. The good king was very much surprised to see her, for he knew his door had been tightly shut, and he could not think how she had got in. But she said to him, I am the fairy truth. I was passing through the wood when you were out hunting, and I wished to see if you were really good, as everybody said you were. So I took the shape of a little rabbit to come to your arms for shelter, for I knew that those who are merciful to animals will be still kinder to their fellow men. If you had refused to help me, I should have been certain that you were wicked. I thank you for the kindness you have shown me, which has made me your friend forever. You have only to ask me anything you want, and I promise that I will give it to you. Madam, said the good king, since you are a fairy, you no doubt know all my wishes. I have but one son whom I love very dearly. That is why he is called Prince Darling. If you are really good enough to wish to do me a favor, I beg that you will become his friend. With all my heart, answered the fairy, I can make your son the handsomest prince in the world, or the richest, or the most powerful. Choose whichever you like for him. I do not ask either of these things for my son, replied the good king, but if you will make him the best of princes, I shall indeed be grateful to you. What good would it do to him to be rich or handsome or to possess all the kingdoms of the world if he were wicked? You know well he would still be unhappy. Only a good man can be really contented. You are quite right, answered the fairy, but it is not in my power to make Prince Darling a good man, unless he will help me. He must himself try hard to become good. I can only promise to give him good advice, to scold him for his faults, and to punish him if he will not correct and punish himself. The good king was quite satisfied with this promise, and very soon afterward he died. Prince Darling was very sorry, for he loved his father with all his heart, and he would willingly have given all his kingdoms and all his treasures of gold and silver if they could have kept the good king with him. Two days afterward, when the prince had gone to bed, the fairy suddenly appeared to him and said, I promised your father that I would be your friend, and to keep my word I have come to bring you a present. At the same time she put a little gold ring upon his finger. Take great care of this ring, she said. It is more precious than diamonds. Every time you do a bad deed it will prick your finger. But if, in spite of its pricking, you go on your own evil way, you will lose my friendship, and I shall become your enemy. So saying, the fairy disappeared, leaving Prince Darling very much astonished. For some time he behaved so well that the ring never pricked him, and that he was so contented that his subjects called him Prince Darling the Happy. One day, however, he went out hunting, but could get no sport, which put him in a very bad temper. It seemed to him as he rode along that his ring was pressing into his finger, but as it did not prick him, he did not heed it. When he got home and went to his own room, his little dog, Bibi, ran to meet him, jumping round him with pleasure. "'Get away,' said the prince, quite gruffly. 
I don't want you. You are in the way. The poor little dog, who didn't understand this at all, pulled at his coat to make him at least look at her, and this made Prince Darling so cross that he gave her quite a hard kick. Instantly his ring pricked him sharply, as it had been a pin. He was very much surprised, and sat down in a corner of his room feeling quite ashamed of himself. I believe the fairy is laughing at me, he thought. Surely I can have done no great wrong in just kicking a tiresome a animal. What is the good of my being ruler of a great kingdom if I am not even allowed to beat my own dog? I am not making fun of you, said a voice, answering Prince Darling's thoughts. You have committed three faults. First of all, you, you were out of temper because you could not have what you wanted, and you thought all men and animals were only made to do your pleasure. Then you were really angry, which is very naughty indeed, and lastly, you were cruel to a poor little animal who did not in the least deserve to be ill-treated. I know you are far above a little dog, but if it were right and allowable that great people should ill-treat all those who were beneath them, I might at this moment beat you or kill you, for a fairy is greater than a man. The advantage of possessing a great empire is not to be able to do the evil that one desires, but to do all the good that one possibly can. The prince saw how naughty he had been, and promised to try and do better in the future, but he did not keep his word. The fact was, he had been brought up by a foolish nurse, who had spoiled him when he was little. If he wanted anything, he only had to cry and fret and stamp his feet, and she would give him whatever he asked for, which had made him self-willed. Also she had told him from morning to night that he would one day be a king, and that kings were very happy, because everyone was bound to obey and respect them, and no one could prevent them from doing just as they wanted. When the prince grew old enough to understand, he soon learned that there could be nothing worse than to be proud, obstinate, and conceited, and he had really tried to cure himself of these defects. But by that time all his faults had become habits, and a bad habit is very hard to get rid of. Not that he was naturally of a bad disposition. He was truly sorry when he had been naughty, and said, I am very unhappy to have to struggle against my anger and pride every day. If I had been punished for them when I was little, they would not be such a trouble to me now. His ring pricked him very often, but sometimes he left off what he was doing at once, but at other times he would not attend to it. Strangely enough, it gave him only a slight prick for tri trifling fault, but when he was really naughty, it made his finger actually bleed. At last he got tired of being constantly reminded and wanted to be able to do as he liked, so he threw his ring aside and thought himself the happiest of men to have got rid of its teasing pricks. He gave himself up to doing every foolish thing that occurred to him, until he became quite wicked, and nobody could like him any longer. One day, when the prince was walking about, he saw a young girl who was so very pretty that he made up his mind at once that he would marry her. Her name was Celia, and she was as good as she was beautiful. Prince Darling fancied that Celia would think herself only too happy if he offered to make her a great queen, but she said fearlessly, "'Sire, I am only a shepherdess and a poor girl, but nevertheless I will not marry you.' "'Do you dislike me?' asked the prince, who was very much vexed at this answer. "'No, my prince,' replied Celia. "'I cannot help thinking you very handsome. "'But what good would riches be to me, "'and all the grand dresses and splendid carriages that you would give me, "'if the bad deeds which I should see you do every day made me hate and despise you?' "'The prince was very angry at this speech, "'and commanded his officers to make Celia a prisoner and carry her off to his palace. "'All day long the remembrance of what she had said annoyed him, but as he loved her, he could not make up his mind to have her punished. One of the prince's favorite companions was his foster brother, whom he trusted entirely. 
but he was not at all a good man, and gave Prince Darling very bad advice, and encouraged him in all his evil ways. When he saw the prince so downcast, he asked what was the matter, and when he explained that he could not bear Celia's bad opinion of him, and was resolved to be a better man, in order to please her, this evil adviser said to him, "'You are very kind to trouble yourself about this little girl. If I were you, I would soon make her obey me. Remember that you are a king, and that it would be laughable to see you trying to please a shepherdess, who ought to be only too glad to be one of your slaves. Keep her in prison, and feed her on bread and water for a little while.' And then, if she still says she will not marry you, have her head cut off, to teach other people that you mean to be obeyed. Why, if you cannot make a girl like that do as you wish, your subjects will soon forget that they are only put on this world for our pleasure. But, said Prince Darling, would it not be a shame if I had an innocent girl put to death? For Celia has done nothing to deserve punishment. If people will not do as you tell them, they ought to suffer for it, answered his foster-brother. But even if it were unjust— you had better be accused of that by your subjects than that they should find out that they may insult and thwart you as soon as they please. In saying this, he was touching a weak point in his brother's character, for the prince's fear of losing any of his power made him at once abandon his first idea of trying to be good, and resolved to try and frighten the shepherdess into consenting to marry him. His foster brother, who wanted him to keep this resolution, invited three young courtiers, as wicked as himself, to sup with the prince, and they persuaded him to drink a great deal of wine, and continued to excite his anger against Celia by telling him that she had laughed at his love for her, until at last, in quite a furious rage, he rushed off to find her, declaring that if she still refused to marry him, she should be sold as a slave the very next day. But when he reached the room in which Celia had been locked up, he was greatly surprised to find that she was not in it, though he had the key in his own pocket all the time. His anger was terrible, and he vowed vengeance against whoever had helped her escape. His bad friends, when they heard him, resolved to turn his wrath upon an old nobleman who had formerly been his tutor, and who still dared sometimes to tell the prince of his faults, for he loved him as if he had been his own son. At first Prince Darling had thanked him, but after a time he grew impatient, and thought it must be just mere love of fault-finding that made his old tutor blame him when everyone else was praising and flattering him. So he ordered him to retire from his court, though he still from time to time spoke of him as a worthy man whom he respected, even if he no longer loved him. His unworthy friends feared that he might some day take it into his head to recall his old tutor, so they thought now a good opportunity of getting him banished for ever. They reported to the prince that Solomon, for that was the tutor's name, had boasted of having helped Celia to escape, and they bribed three men to say that Solomon himself had told them about it. The prince, in great anger, sent his foster-brother with a number of soldiers to bring his tutor before him, in chains, like a criminal. After giving this order he went to his own room, but he had scarcely got into it when there was a clap of thunder which made the ground shake and the fairy truth appeared suddenly before him. "'I promised your father,' said she sternly, "'to give you good advice, and to punish you if you refuse to follow it. You have despised my counsel and have gone your own evil way until you are not outwardly a man.' Really, you are a monster, the horror of everyone who knows you. It is time that I should fulfill my promise and begin your punishment. I condemn you to resemble the animals whose ways you have imitated. You have made yourself like the lion by your anger, and like the wolf by your greediness. Like a snake, you have ungratefully turned upon those who would be a second father to you. Your churlishness has made you a bull. Therefore, in your new form, take the appearance of all these animals." 
The fairy had scarcely finished speaking when the Prince Darling saw to his horror that her words were fulfilled. He had a lion's head, a bull's horns, a wolf's feet, and a snake's body. At the same instant he found himself in a great forest, beside a clear lake in which he could see plainly the horrible creature he had become, and a voice said to him, Look carefully at the state to which your wickedness has brought you. Believe me, your soul is a thousand times more hideous than your body. Prince Darling recognized the voice of the fairy truth, and turned in a fury to catch her and eat her up if he possibly could. But he saw no one, and the same voice went on, I laugh at your powerlessness and anger, and I intend to punish your pride by letting you fall into the hands of your own subjects. The prince began to think that the best thing he could do would be to get as far away from the lake as he could. Then at least he would not be continually reminded of his terrible ugliness. So he ran toward the wood, but before he had gone many yards, he fell into a deep pit which had been made to trap bears, and the hunters, who were hiding in a tree, leapt down and secured him with several chains, and led him into the chief city of his own kingdom. On the way, instead of recognizing that his own faults had brought this punishment upon him, he accused the fairy of being the cause of all his misfortunes, and bit and tore at his chains furiously. As they approached the town, he saw that some great rejoicing was being held, and when the hunters asked what had happened, they were told that the prince, whose only pleasure it was to torment his people, had been found in his room, killed by a thunderbolt, for that was what had supposed to become of him. Four of his courtiers, those who had encouraged him in his wicked doings, had tried to seize the kingdom and divide it between them, but the people, who knew it was their bad counsels which had so changed their prince, had cut off their heads, and had offered the crown to Solman, whom the prince had left in prison. This noble lord had just been crowned, and the deliverance of the kingdom was the cause of the rejoicing. For, they said, he is a good and just man, and we shall once more enjoy peace and prosperity. Prince Darling roared with anger when he heard this, but it was still worse for him when he reached the great square before his own palace. He saw Suleiman seated upon a magnificent throne, and all the people crowded around him, wishing him a long life that he might undo all the mischief done by his prede predecessor. Presently Suleiman made a sign with his hand that the people should be silent, and said, I have accepted the crown you have offered me, but only that I may keep it for Prince Darling, who is not dead as you suppose. The fairy has assured me that there is still hope that you may one day see him again, good and virtuous as he was when he first came to the throne. Alas, he continued, he was led away by flatterers. I knew his heart, and am certain that if it had not been for the bad influence on those who surrounded him, he would have been a good king and a father to his people. We may hate his faults, but let us pity him and hope his, for his restoration. As for me, I would die gladly if that would bring back our prince to reign justly and worthily once more. These words went to Prince Darling's heart. He realized the true affection and faithfulness of his old tutor, and for the first time reproached himself for all his evil ways. At the same instant he felt his anger melting away, and began quickly to think over his past life, and to admit that his punishment was not more than he had deserved. He left off tearing at the iron bars of the cage in which he was shut up, and became as gentle as a lamb. The hunters who had caught him took him to a great menagerie, from where he was chained up among the other wild beasts, and he was determined to show his sorrow for his past bad behavior by being gentle and obedient to the man who had to take care of him. Unfortunately, this man was very rough and unkind, and though the poor monster was quite quiet, he often beat him without rhyme or reason when he happened to be in a bad temper. One day, when this keeper was asleep, a tiger broke its chain and flew at him to eat him up. Prince Darling, who saw that this was going on, at first felt quite pleased to think that he should soon be delivered from his persecutor. 
but soon thought better of it and wished that he were free. I would return good for evil, he said to himself, and save the unhappy man's life. He had hardly wished this when his iron cage flew open and he rushed to the side of the keeper, who was awake and was defending himself against the tiger. When he saw the monster had got out, he gave himself up for lost, but his fear was soon changed into joy, for the kind monster flew itself upon the tiger and very soon killed it, and then came and crouched at the feet of the man it had saved. Overcome with gratitude, the keeper stood to caress the strange creature which had done him such a great service. But suddenly a voice said in his ear, A good action should never go unrewarded. And at the same instant the monster disappeared, and he saw at his feet only a pretty little dog. Prince Darling, delighted by this change, frisked about the keeper, showing his joy in every way he could, and the man, taking him up in his arms, carried him to the king, to whom he told the whole story. The queen said that she would like to have this wonderful little dog, and the prince would have been very happy in his new home if he could have forgotten that he was a man and a king. The queen petted and took care of him, but she was so afraid that he would get too fat that she consulted the court physician, who said that he was to be fed only upon bread, and was not to have much even of that. So poor Prince Darling was terribly hungry all day long, but he was very patient about it. One day, when they gave him his little loaf for breakfast, he thought he would like to eat it out in the garden. So he took it up in his mouth and trotted away towards a brook he knew of a long way from the palace. But he was surprised to find that the brook was gone, and where it had been stood a great house that seemed to be built of gold and precious stones. Numbers of people splendidly dressed were going into it, and sounds of music and dancing and feasting could be seen from the windows. But what seemed very strange was that those people who came out of the house were pale and thin, and their clothes were torn and hanging in rags about them. Some fell down dead as they came out before they had time to get away. Others crawled farther with great difficulty, while others lit again on the ground, fainting with hunger, and begged a morsel of bread from those who were going into the house, but they were, would not so much as look at the poor creatures. Prince Darling went up to a young girl, who was trying to eat a few blades of grass she was so hungry. Touched with compassion, he said to himself, I am very hungry, but I shall not die of starvation before I get to my dinner. If I give my bre breakfast to this poor creature, perhaps I may save her life. So he laid his piece of bread in the girl's hand, and saw her eat it up eagerly. She soon seemed to be quite well again, and the prince, delighted to have been able to help her, was thinking of going home to the palace, when he heard a great outcry, and turning around, saw Celia, who was being carried against her will into the great house. For the first time the prince regretted that he was no longer the monster. Then he would have been able to rescue Celia. Now he could only bark feebly at the people, who were carrying her off, and try to follow them, but they chased and kicked him away. He determined not to quit the place until he knew what had become of Celia, and blamed himself for what had befallen her. Alas, he said to himself, I am furious with the people that are carrying Celia off, but isn't that exactly what I did myself? And had I not been prevented, did I not intend to be still more cruel to her? Here he was interrupted by a noise above his head. Someone was opening a window, and he saw with delight that it was Celia herself, who came forward and threw out a plate of most delicious-looking food. Then the window was shut again, and the Prince Darling, who had not had anything to eat all day, thought he might as well take the opportunity of getting something. He ran forward again, but the young girl to whom he had given his bread gave a cry of terror and took him up in her arms, saying, Don't touch it, my poor little dog. That house is the palace of pleasure, and everything that comes out of it is poisoned. At the same moment a voice said, You see, a good action always brings its reward, 
and the prince found himself changed into a beautiful white dove. He remembered that white was the favorite color of the fairy truth, and began to hope that he might at last win back her favor. But just now his first care was for Celia, and rising into the air he flew round and round the house until he saw an open window. But he searched through every room in vain. No trace of Celia was to be seen, and the prince, in despair, determined to search through the world till he found her. He flew on and on for several days, till he came to a great desert, where he saw a cavern, and to his delight, there sat Celia, sharing the simple breakfast of an old hermit. Overjoyed to have found her, Prince Darling perched upon her shoulder, trying to express by his caresses how glad he was to see her again, and Celia, surprised and delighted by the tameness of this pretty white dove, stroked it softly, and said, though she never thought of its understanding her, "'I accept the gift that you made me of yourself, and I will love you always.' "'Take care what you are saying, Celia,' said the old hermit. "'Are you prepared to keep that promise?' "'Indeed I hope so, my sweet shepherdess,' cried out the prince, "'who was at that moment restored to his natural shape. "'You promised to love me always. "'Tell me that you really mean what you said, "'or I shall have to ask the fairy to give me back the form of the dove, "'which pleased you so much.' "'You need not be afraid that she will change her mind,' said the fairy, "'throwing off the hermit's robe in which she had been disguised "'and appearing before them.' Celia has loved you ever since she first saw you, only she would not tell you while you were so obstinate and naughty. Now you have repented and mean to be good as you deserve to be happy, and so she may love you so much as she likes. Celia and Prince Darling threw themselves at the fairy's feet, and the prince was never tired of thanking her for her kindness. Celia was delighted to hear how sorry he was for all his past follies and misdeeds, and promised to love him as long as she lived. "'Rise, my children,' said the fairy, "'and I will transport you to the palace, "'and Prince Darling shall have back again "'the crown he forfeited by his bad behavior. "'While she was speaking, "'they found themselves in Sulman's hall, "'and his delight was great at seeing his dear master once more. "'He gave up the throne joyfully to the prince, "'and remained always the most faithful of his subjects. "'Celia and Prince Darling reigned for many years, "'but he was so determined to govern worthily "'and to do his duty that his ring, "'which he took to wearing again, never once pricked him severely. End of Prince Darling